Welcome to On the Record with Furniture Today, a podcast that goes behind the headlines to look at the news and the newsmakers, the people and the personalities that give the furniture industry its unique flavor. I'm your host, Bill McLaughlin, Editor-in-Chief of Furniture Today. Welcome to this week's edition of On the Record. The entire staff of Furniture Today, minus Dave Perry, who is traveling today, we'll get him another time, um, is here around the table. We're going to talk a little bit about some of the things that happened this year, some of the things we expect to happen next year, and just the kind of wacky furniture talk that we engage in all of the time. Uh, Please bear with us if it gets a little um, playful. We are all a bunch of furniture geeks. We like what we do, and we enjoy spending time together talking about furniture. This will be our last podcast for 2019, so we will see you next year in January. Uh, so let's let's get started. I'm going to start here uh, in just counterclockwise order. Powell, you are sitting here. Uh, Looking I'm, I'm ready first. to go. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> As you can see, we're eager to talk yes, furniture. Yes, yes. No, you. I mean, you actually had one of the hot categories this year. Motion was just uh, on fire. A lot of activity. And it's going to keep on kicking it, it looks like. I, I mean, every market, something else comes out. Um, and the interesting thing to me is, however well these things take off, it gives people a lot to talk about on the sales floor it creates um, a lot of, um, I think, you know, kind of visual and user excitement on the sales floor. Um, you've got everything from voice activation. Um, you've got triple power. Dual power is just standard now uh, as far as power motion goes. Um, there's whether or not consumers actually get all the bells and whistles this is something that draws them in, and I think um, manufacturers do, are doing a much better job of coming up with POP materials and um, demonstrations and training for the retail sales associate. It just gives them a lot to talk about, and it's it's something fun. You know, people go in there, they dink around with these things, they you know go back and forth on them, and it's you know it just creates some activity on the floor. Yeah. It's rides. It's, it's quarter slot rides for adults. Right? Right. Put the order in and ride the pony. Yeah, it's funny. And, and I'm, I'm still figuring out how to use this stuff when I go in the showrooms. I'm like, you know, bumping around. But. It's our highly trained expert, folks. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, like I say, there's always something new to try out. So you have to figure this out. And yeah, I think the key there is that you don't, you know, you really have to train the sales associates. So they really know how to demonstrate this stuff on the floor. Um, I think it was kind of funny when voice control came out in a big way this year, um, back in April. And let's just say there were quite a few glitches. Um, You'd be sitting there in a showroom and you'd tell Coco to do something and the chair over here starts moving around. And, you know, they they really have to iron some of that stuff out. Um, But... um, just, you know, in terms of incorporating massage, incorporating heat, there's just a lot going on there. Speaking of a lot going on, Clint, you have notes and everything. Yeah, you said it was going to be around the table. You skipped. Like, oh, I, I was just starting there. Yeah, no, I... <laughs> <laughs> This is this is ri- like radio. Changing nobody nobody can tell where you're sitting. <laughs> and no math either, right? No math. <laughs> uh, what's 100,000 divided by now? Um, you do have have notes there. What um, 
what were you thinking that you were going to what, chat about? What, what were I you think, thinking? What was I thinking exactly? <laughs> um, well, I, when Powell was talking, I was just thinking about retailers have sort of been through like the seven stages of grief with with e-commerce, right? It was like shock and fear. If, if fear is one of the stages. I don't think it is, but it was fear. You, you saw those uh, commercials and video shorts about there's a YouTube video produced every three seconds. And it was like, you can almost see the retailers panicking that they haven't produced a spot in the past three seconds. So, um, And then they went from anger and denial. And now we seem like we've gotten past that, that they're, they're good at it. The, the brick and mortar retailers are good at, at e-commerce. And on the other side of that, like when you're talking about motion, all the brick and mortar retailers that I talk to talk about how that's like one of the hottest categories. It's been the hottest category for one of the long, for the longest time. And I think one of the reasons is demonstration, like in-store demonstration, something you can't really do online except through video, I guess. But so. That's a good segue to jump again out of order. Speaking of demonstration, and you have written a lot about AR and VR and how that's changing things. We had a lot of that discussion at the leadership conference. Where are we going with AR and VR? I just think it's going to get even more important, especially for e-commerce, you know, companies that are direct to consumer. Um, because they can't have that texture where you can't sit in the, you know, especially with motion, it, like you said, video is really important. Getting people to see the product in 3D, getting to, you know, see, does it fit in their space? Um, more and more people are doing furniture shopping online. And so making that easier for the consumer is going to be very important. Well, we talk a lot about how technology is changing the industry, but I think one of the things as we're talking about the different segments is consumers just incorporate technology into everything that they do in life. And so they fully expect to see it even in the furniture. They expect to see it in the demonstrations. They expect it to be part of the experience mm -hmm. in all different kinds of ways. And I think the retailers are getting comfortable with it in all parts of the experience as well. So we see it just kind of overlaying everything that's in the industry. That's, that's funny because that's one of, the, one of the speakers at the conference. Um, Scott Perry from Bob's mentioned that, that just the AR and giving you street cred with consumers, that next generation of consumers, that it says that you get it, like you, they, you're speaking their language, so. That seems to be, you have to attract the millennials, right? Yeah. The, the smartphone shoppers. Tom, did you have something you look like you're going to jump in here? Yeah, I am because, um, you know, I think um, one of the things that e-commerce has taught um, the consumer and the industry in general is that there's an efficient, um, quick, and, and a relatively inexpensive way to ship products to the consumer. And the expectations have kind of um, changed as a result of that. So we're seeing some folks in the case goods industry, um, Ashley was kind of a big example, kind of getting into, or not getting into, but they're expanding their RTA presence, for example. And a lot of that is, it's, not, it's, it's about scale and size of furniture and ease of assembly, but it's also about getting it, putting it in, in a box or several boxes that can be shipped quickly and efficiently to the consumer and also warehoused uh, from an efficient standpoint too. So that, I think that's that trend has kind of helped uh, broaden the horizons uh, in the case goods realm because we're seeing RTA become more important. Well, it's funny, it's traveling the path that betting has uh, 
has traveled the last couple of years. You want to talk about a disrupted business, right? I think Dave's last statistics were like 21% of the business is now done uh, out of a box, direct to consumer. And now, as a matter of fact, we were talking this morning, Powell, you have some stories coming up on uh, upholstery in a box. Um, yeah, that's, um, I've seen the last few markets, a lot of development in that. Um, and there are a couple of companies that have it going on that aren't ready to talk about it yet. Well, Hudson but, actually is already in that space. Yeah, they, right? are. they, they Hudson, had some nice stuff at High Point. Hudson? Hudson, Creative Affiliates, um, Modway. Um, there, there are a number of people who are really figuring out how to do that. Um, there, oh, Tom Erdman. Um, handy I'm Living. Sorry. Yeah, handy, thank you. Um, handy Living. These guys, they're, they're figuring that out. And... They're figuring out how to um, how to make this stuff that's easy to put together, um, minimal or no tools, and I've sat in some of it. It looks it looks pretty good. It feels pretty good, and it's inexpensive. It's very accessible. Um, and you know, you guys were talking about the shipping. Um, that's that, that's going to be again, huge this year. You know, we've seen a lot of disruption from the tariffs, the shift of sourcing to Vietnam, um, and that's only going to get bigger. We got we got fuel cost um, increases coming for ocean shipping with these new low sulfur regulations, whether or not they install scrubbers or switch to these low sulfur fuels. There's going to be time, <coughs> excuse me, time and cost involved in that. That's going to really develop a lot this year, I think. So, Shipping the stuff, you know, you were talking about quick and easy shipping. It, I just don't see, I don't see it being, it might be quick, but it ain't going to be easy. And there's going to be a big commitment, I think, to stateside warehousing. We're already seeing that among some major importers. And if you, if you can't get it there quick in a digestible amount, you're going to be, you're going to be hurting, I think. I think we went almost seven minutes there before the word tariffs came up. It's like, yeah. I think that's the longest we've gone all year without saying or writing the word tariff. I'll say, though, you know, I did this story um, for the wrap-up issue, mm -hmm. uh, Retail Outlook, and and I the same thing came up when I was asking what their outlook was for next year and what was business like this year. I almost had to ask about tariffs. It was... It's it's almost like they've... that They figured that out, too. They've, they've adjusted... You know, the damage was done. They figured out they've managed to get the suppliers to eat part of it. What was left wasn't that bad, so they either passed it on or they didn't pass it on. And it, and even if it stays in place, which we're still not sure, right now it's staying in place, it looks like, um, retailers don't seem as nervous about that affecting their business anymore. They're more concerned still with uh, getting, the, getting flow. You know, there's still issues with... Uh, product flow as a result of the tariffs and everything moving to Vietnam, but um, it was I I really did I had to I had to ask what about tariffs What are your thoughts about tariffs? Only one retailer mentioned tariffs without me saying something. I had the same thing as I was preparing for the leadership conference. We were preparing our CEO panel, and when we talked about all of the issues that they're concerned about, right? I mean, number one, Wayfair, Amazon, e-commerce. Tariffs, I, I finally brought it up and, and somebody said, well, you know, we've already kind of dealt with it. You mm -hmm. know, it's not like it's something that it's, um, you know, it's it's not like it's something we have to wrestle with now. It's already factored in. But Tom, tariffs was big for you this year, right? You went over to Vietnam, took a look uh, on the ground there. Yes. 
other than uh, having to ride a, a motor scooter. <laughs> <laughs> that was a painful experience. <laughs> <laughs> but, what, I mean, you got to see firsthand um, both the, the sophistication of the factories, but also the infrastructure in place. I mean, what, yeah. are, what do you think the, the flow is going to be like in the next six months to a year out of Vietnam? Well, I think unless the... Um, the goods are transported during non-peak hours, being in the evening hours. It's going to be extremely difficult to get goods from the factories to the ports. And that's where I think folks are going to start to... I mean, they've already seen some issues getting um, getting shipments this year from Vietnam. And I believe that um, that's where the challenges will be because the infrastructure, the roads, are just not equipped to handle a lot of traffic. And... In our experience, it took about, unless you leave the factory at 4 p.m., um, you're not you're going to be on the road for about a couple hours getting from the provinces back to central Ho Chi Minh City. It's just a, a fact of life. And I think um, seeing these trucks on the road, it's incredible to see how they navigate in, in all this mayhem. <laughs> Powell has seen that, too, in the past. And it's not much different from... 12 or 14 years ago, it's almost, it's, it seems like it's even gotten worse in terms of the congestion. I, I wasn't aware of that peak hour issue. Is it, is it, why is that such a big issue? Why don't they just do the shipping during non-peak hours? Well, they probably do to a degree, because, um, but you do see trucks on the road, and um, it, it tends to aggravate an already um, difficult situation traffic-wise. So, um, but yeah, they, they probably do to avoid that uh, rush hour sort of situation. It's interesting. The tariff is not an issue directly in terms of price, but it's going to be an issue in terms of the flow of goods. Yeah. Yes. Because hmm. capacity was also starting to be strained. These factories are limited. There are some that are expanding over there, but um, in other cases, it, it's going to be hard for some of them to keep up with the demands on their capacity um, and be able to satisfy all customers that want to get goods out of those, some of those facilities. So, Ann, I want to come back to you because the, the undertone of a lot of disruption at retail is e-commerce retailers. And you cover a lot of interesting new formats. Um, and disruptive kinds of retailers. Like you wrote a story about subscriptions and have talked to a number of subscription players. You've talked about a lot of these D2C guys. What's your sense of how that is going to evolve going forward? Well, something that's interesting that we talked about this morning in our meeting is a lot of people start these direct-to-consumer companies because they're looking for products that they can't find that satisfies their need, you know, their niche that they're looking for. So they end up starting their own direct-to-consumer company. Um, and, you know, they, I guess the costs are lower because they're creating product uh, here in the States and then shipping it out. So it'll be interesting as these companies to see how long they last and um, the effect that they have, you know, if they're able to scale up and grow or if, you know, they fall by the wayside. Or they get acquired by somebody right. like Joybird, right? Yeah, with like, I wonder if there's as much room for these companies to play going forward, because there seems like there's a new, uh, what's the word, Wall Street, I don't want to say wising up to, but n no longer willing to give the pass to companies that aren't, score aren't lots of revenues, but just aren't making any money. And I, I've wondered how long how much longer Wayfair gets a pass before they have to start making money, meaning a profit. Uh, obviously it's amazing making, they've gone this long. <laughs> yeah, but it's those billions of dollars of yeah. sales that, get, that uh, has Wall Street's eyes lit up in dollar signs. 
I know that's a big frustration for uh, for brick and mortar retailers yeah. that they can't play by the same rules. Yeah, I've heard a couple of them say, "I could do great. I could sell a ton if I didn't have to worry about making a profit." But, uh, well, I think there's so much. Uh, you know, they they look at future potential and market share, and if these guys, okay, they aren't making any money now, but when they have everybody in their door, you know. They'll have to make money. Maybe that's the yeah. They said they're playing the long game uh, yeah, at Wayfair that yeah. they're looking. Which is like really unusual. Well, a lot which of companies really outside a, the furniture industry yeah. have been saying that, and we're and the, and some of them like Amazon right. have yeah. won. Right. But a lot of them, the ones that aren't winning, now all of a sudden they're getting hammered, like the WeWorks of the world. Uh, um, that you wonder, are the tables starting to turn where that's not going to be a, a Wall Street's? That's not going to be enough for. Wall well, Amazon has diversified as well. They have, you know, the yeah. Amazon Prime and all the other and Amazon web services. web services, which is Whereas really where they make is, all their profit. Yeah, exactly. like their, their retail business barely breaks even. Right. But, but it is funny how, you know, long game in Wall Street that sometimes doesn't seem to go together yeah. right in the same sentence. Yeah. You know, when you go, right. like, wow, well, what's your share price today? Mm -hmm. What's your, you know, what, mm -hmm. what was your quarter? Yeah. yeah. I think the interesting thing that people are betting on is who's going to own the consumer in the next generation. Mm -hmm. I think that's what um, that's what Amazon has shown is that if you want access to the consumer, you're going to have to go through Amazon. Right? More than half of all search product searches now take place on Amazon. Um, so if you want to get access to that consumer going forward, and perhaps that's the Wayfair strategy too, mm -hmm. they become top of mind with the consumer, and so they're the on ramp. Yes. But then you have a company like IKEA who has pulled back from Amazon. You know, is it starting to become the, you know, a company to disassociate yourself from to to help set yourself up as better? And IKEA is having social consciousness. You know, trying to be more green, recycling. How will those topics become more important in the future, especially with the millennials? Well, it's the funny thing in our industry. Everybody watches RH, right? Because profitable and they sell at great margins. But IKEA has done a ton of interesting things over the last mm -hmm. year or two. I mean, Clint, you've written a bunch of different stories on the some of the experimentation that they've done there and some of the new initiatives that they've taken there. Um, yeah, actually, I mean, actually, Anne's probably written more about <laughs> IKEA than I have this year. But, um, well, Anne, the spotlight is suddenly shifted to you. Well, you know, you think of those IKEA stores where you, you know, get, uh, you know, it takes forever to walk through the store, but now they have a smaller format mm -hmm. location, and so it's interesting that they're, you know, they're not going to have everything under the same roof. A lot of times they have that buy online, pick up in store, where you can, you know, it makes it easier for the consumer. They have half e-commerce because they're buying it online, and then they just drive up and have and, it loaded into their car. And more, more and more retailers are doing it's called what do they call it, Bopis. Bopis. Yeah, that's. Uh, I mean, that's that's sort of the advantage that brick and mortar companies feel they have over e-commerce right now is, and I think Weekends only talked about it with you on uh, mm -hmm. at the conference, that uh, during Black Friday, they were getting the business online more than they'd ever had before, but they were also coming to the store to pick it up and buying more. Uh, and I think Big Lots is really, they just recently... Uh, I think they just recently, if I remember right, introduced it or, or rolled it out to all stores, and it was a big hit for them during, uh, I think it was during Black Friday, so uh, just brick and mortar stores are starting to learn how to uh, take advantage of their 
stores as fulfillment centers right. for online. What's interesting is they have inventory. As a consumer, you know, when a guy get on to buy something that says there's three left, it's like, well, then I need to put that in my cart and purchase it. Because yeah. well, by the time I get to the store, it may already be yeah. gone. So you're... It, Charlie Workman at, uh, from at Broad River talked about that at the leadership conference. Right? He kept referring to weaponizing the store, mm -hmm. sorry, taking advantage mm -hmm. of the inherent attributes of the store. And that BOPUS is one of those ways, right? You, you give them the convenience. You can go pick it up. And Nebraska Furniture Mart does a really good job. I don't know if anybody's seen their Dallas store. I mean, you basically pull in and within 15 minutes, you're pulling out with your product. And they and it's a virtual guarantee, right? It's like McDonald's, 30 seconds or it's free. Now, I don't think they're giving you away a free sofa. But, you know, you pull in and you don't have to get out. They t attach it. They tie it. They do all of that stuff. In 15 minutes, you're gone. Yeah. Um, it's an interesting... It's like a drive-through. Drive-through furniture. Yeah, that's it. Now they can figure out the customization piece, right? <laughs> That, that's an interesting question, and all of you have been in the furniture industry longer than I have. Um, furniture takes longer than probably any other purchase to buy. If I, unless I'm having a, a dress custom made, or you know, I'm a woman, I'm buying a wedding dress. Almost anything I can get quicker than a, a custom piece of furniture. Can those time frames? And I'll throw it out to anybody here. Can those time frames last long term? We're gonna have to figure out, and we've we've kind of danced around it. Everybody who's into custom is trimming those times. Where it used to be months, now it's weeks. Where it used to be six weeks, people were going for you know four weeks or less. Look at somebody like American Leather. You know everything they do is custom. And um, what what are their ship times? Three three weeks, two weeks. I better so not. Under, yeah. Under, he, he, yeah. yeah. Sorry, American Leather. We just committed yeah, you to yeah, three-week right. ship times. <laughs> <laughs> weeks. Weeks. Well, you have several companies that are offering sort of a limited customization, uh -huh. like, you know, three arms, two different style legs, four different fabrics, right. you know, and then you customize. And it's in stock. Some of them right. are in stock. Mm -hmm. There's customization, but they're carrying all three of them. Mm -hmm. But doing that allows them to really trim down that that lead time. That's where technology comes in as well, is that you can offer all that in 3D, so the person will go on and build their, you know, their sofa and build their, and then makes it easier to create the product. Tom, you saw some of that at ART, right? That, that, that Artiste program is a, a kind of a mass customization Yes, program. it is, and, and word that we hear is that the program is doing well. It's doing better than um, some folks may have expected it to, based on conversations that we've had with some executives there, but um, I think what they're going to do to make it even more successful is simplify it, reduce some of the number of options, and while it's still an intensely customized program, make it so it's it's sort of more manageable in a sense, if you will. And I think um, we're seeing some of the Amish companies actually shift to that model where they're offering fewer options. And it's almost like the 80-20 rule. What are the ones that sell the most, um, that they have the most success rate? And based on that, that they can kind of inventory and ship um, in a more timely fashion. Um, Vaughn Bassett, for example, with its VBX, they're not Amish, but um, they're competing heavily with the Amish. And they've kind of figured out a way to get goods out the door in, in as little as like a day or two. VBX, just for anybody who doesn't know what VBX is. Vaughn Bassett Express. Okay. Um, and so, but it's a heavy investment in inventory. Um, and the folks that have cash 
are, are able to do that or they have strong financing can do that. And um, we were talking about you know, retailers being able to kind of satisfy consumer demands. This, this model has helped a lot of retailers and those that aren't inventorying themselves provide inventory more quickly and satisfy consumer demands a lot more quickly and efficiently. Clint, were you going to say I something? Just was, am I just old and you don't have to answer that part, but... Yes. Our cons- <laughs> <laughs> but like, it seems like when you think of custom, you're generally buying something a little better, more tailored, whatever. Yes. So you're, that I, I would be willing to wait a little <coughs> longer for something custom. And I probably, as the older I get, am willing to wait longer than young and not spending a lot of money on it. Like, it, it, I just, I mean, they, it, two things are coming together at the same time. The custom, the times are coming mm-hmm. down or shortening the windows. And then the consumer, as they get older and are starting to make more money, are willing to wait a little longer. Anybody want to argue with that? I don't know. There's probably a point at which I would not buy green bananas. So I don't know if I'd want to wait too long for a sofa. But, um, but yes, I think older consumers are definitely more patient and, and accustomed to different time frames, right? Younger consumers, everything is, you know, instant gratification. So the question that is, when, that younger, is my when the younger consumer becomes the older consumer, are they going to become like the older consumer? Or are they going to be the younger consumer, older now, but accustomed to the shorter time frame. I think it just depends on the individual <laughs> lot and, and the type of product they're getting. It's, this reminds me of a story of, of something, the last car that I bought, and I don't mean to personalize this, but and I'm, I'm kind of in that older generation too. I, I, was, I wanted it in sort of a navy blue or blue tone, and um, but they had to go and get it from... I don't know, another few cities away, and it was going to take another three or four hours to get the car. By the way, they had the car on the lot in a a maroon tone, like a lot of us are wearing today. (laughs) You can't see it, but it was You'll have to take Tom's word for it. Many of us are wearing maroon. And they said, you know, you could drive this off the lot, and you're not going to have to pay a transfer fee. And I was like, I'll take it. So, you know, it, it just depends on the circumstance of what the consumer, I think, is willing to, to, to do or, or how long they're going to have to wait to get something that they, and how much they're going to have to pay, too. And also, some people are like us. They're furniture geeks. They are really into furniture and, yeah. you know, what they put into their home. And they are going to be willing to, you know, mm-hmm. you know, take some time, you know, look at different swatches and wait to get exactly what they want. Um, and the main thing is, here is that, you know, whatever you promise, you know, deliver, deliver it. Mm-hmm. You know, if you say, okay, you're going to have this beautiful eight-way hand tied just the way you want it, sofa that's going to last for 100 years, and you're going to have it in eight weeks. Okay, well, don't make it ten. <laughs> you know, yeah. as long as long as you're meeting the as long as you're meeting the expectations that you set that the customer agrees to, you're going to be fine. Under promise, over deliver. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. One of the reasons the subscription services have come up is that um, people are moving. The millennials are moving every six months, and so if you have to wait eight or twelve weeks for so that's half your lease. And so you're not willing to wait for these custom products to come in because sure. you know it's you're living without a sofa. So your furniture is always one apartment behind you? Yes, exactly. You're waiting for it to arrive. So it's just easier to subscribe to these services like Feather and Furnish and 
inhabitor mm -hmm. and you know be able to change out your furniture more often. And we're all at a point where if we move, if we bring something in, something else has to go out. Right. I want to go back, Clint, to that point you made, because I think that's really the $64,000 question. Is it about your demographics or is it about the stage of life that you're at? Right. Because millennials are behaving like millennials and we all have these preconceptions. And I, and I want to I want to add the caveat no group is completely monolithic, right? All millennials do not buy the same color, do not do the same thing. There are, there are segments, but having said that, are millennials behaving the way they are because they're millennials or because they're the way at a particular stage of life? And any thoughts? Do they start to become more like us boomers? Uh, not all of us are boomers around the table. No, we're not. <laughs> Anne wishes to disassociate herself from. You're not a boomer. No. Okay, boomer. <laughs> you know, I Gen think X, it's some combination. Um, if you look back at how our parents shopped, um, we're not shopping like them now that we're uh, at yeah. that stage in life because technology has changed, life has changed, the speed of things has changed, and I think that's going to continue to happen. So yes, I think. To some extent, stage of life matters, but where the world is at that time, mm -hmm. that matters what they a lot grew too. Up with. Yeah. And in yeah. thirty years, all those times may have the time frames may have condensed even further. But that, for no, that's almost more like shopping versus buying, right? It's like we've changed the way we shop. We're faster, and are we willing? Are we willing to wait as long as our parents did for the sofa? Maybe not, but we don't have to. It's like we're being meat in the middle, yep. met in the middle. You're saying like a, we're like a sandwich? Meat. <laughs> meat in the middle. Okay, so let's look ahead to 2020. <clears throat> I want to just go around the table. And uh, Vicki, we'll start with you because for those who are not here, she's on the direct opposite side of the table <laughs> from me. Um, predictions or thoughts on what 2020, if, if we call 2019 the year of the tariffs, what will 2020 be? Um, I have to think it's going to be the pace of technology. I mean, even in the past two years, we've seen things ramp up a lot faster, and I think that's only going to continue, and I think we're going to see it affect everything. Tom, 2020? I think the, on that note, speed to market will be the success of, of Case Goods and other uh, resources in the industry. Wow. I'm calling what Tom said the year of the warehouse. Ooh, mm. like that. The Ooh, year nice. of the warehouse. I see a, a headline in our future, folks. Look, <laughs> look for that in 2020. The year of the warehouse. Damn it, another what, story. What do, you, what, do you, what do you mean by that? Well, um, what I mean by that is um, having, especially when it comes to imports, having a domestic presence. Now, a lot of people do that already, but it's only growing. Mm -hmm. um, you're gonna, you're gonna. I think you're gonna see a, you know, more domestic warehousing of imported product. Um, maybe some partnerships with domestic manufacturers. Um, just basically having it on hand, having the best sellers on hand. Interesting. I don't have a year of, but um, I think it's going to be a continuation of. From speaking from the brick side, I'll let you speak to the e-commerce side. But a continuation of e uh, retailers getting better and better at 
online selling and crossing over online selling into the store. Um, and then, and then with, and then the uh, wild card is the election and how that's going to impact business. It's it's going to be harder for retailers to get their message out and the and the noise. Or is it going to be easier this year than two years ago? It's like I've wondered: is it going to be easier because we're not as tied to television now? There's social media and streaming, where maybe maybe mm-hmm. it's easier for them to play in those fields than they were than it was uh, two years ago. Because people, you can hyper-target, right? Yeah, to your, your audience. And maybe it's cheaper. Uh, I, like it's going to be more expensive for them to advertise on television, but. Maybe they, they have more options. the consumer isn't watching television. You know, right. they're not paying as much attention to it. I get furniture advertisements on my solitaire when I'm playing solitaire. I get all the companies I've written about recently. So the hyper targeting. I would say 2020 is will be the year of 3D. It'll be interesting to see where that goes once they standardize it, having it be more uh, people using augmented reality more because it'll be easier to use on your smartphone. Okay. How about you? The right answer is. Yeah. <laughs> Does everybody remember the McLaughlin, the McLaughlin group? group? <laughs> right, you go around. Yes. So, um, actually, I, I'm gonna. I will gonna. Go, I'm gonna call 2020 the year of holistic retail, and here's why. Still trying to pull that holistic. Thing. I will get people to use that term, please, folks. No, I'm uh, channel. I, I tried it with okay. logistics and it didn't work. <laughs> so here, so here's why I say that. Five years ago, four years ago, three years ago, it was omni-channel. Already, when you hear people speak, and we heard it at this year's conference, people are not using the term omnichannel because that was purely transactional, right? That was transacting wherever the consumer was. Now people are using the term seamless retail, right? You heard that again a lot at the conference, and you hear it a lot in, in the media, meaning the lines between the channels are blurring. The lines between bricks and clicks are going away. Now, I have maintained, and I continue to maintain, and I will continue to maintain till the term shows up, um, that holistic retail is the next stage. And what I mean by that is nobody talks about incorporating the education and entertainment portion of that, in particular the entertainment. We talk about how important the retail experience is. Well, that experience is just as important in the e-commerce space. Amazon is great at the transaction. They're not a great shopping experience. If you actually want to browse, if you want to look, it's great at telling you if you bought this, somebody else bought that, but there's no inspiration there. If you look at sites like House, if you look at Pinterest and how transactional Pinterest is becoming, they're starting to bring in that element of entertainment and education where you eliminate the traditional sales funnel, right? That, that sales funnel is very linear. You start here and you traverse a very straight path till you make the purchase. Well, it's not, the consumer's journey is no longer that linear. You have to be able to interact with the consumer well before they ever consider a furniture purchase. Those people who are going to be successful in the next generation of retail can't think of themselves as retailers. They have to think of themselves as integrated with the consumer's lifestyle, engaging with the consumer at the point that's well before they ever think about making a purchase, where they're offering something for nothing, which is entertainment, education, information, so that when the consumer finally is ready to make a purchase, you're top of mind. You're the place that they go. And at at your conference, Jesus Capo, he, he hinted that that's where they're going. They wanted to reach that consumer before they're actually getting ready to buy that silver. They, they were looking for ways to, when they're just starting to think about it, talking to their friends, and he wouldn't tell us how, how he's going to do it. So maybe they're one to watch for, uh, 
for holistic retail in the future? It's it's coming. I'm probably a little a year or two too early. Things always move a little slower than we anticipate. I'll right? keep googling it so it shows up at the top. Could you please? <laughs> <laughs> so thank you for joining us for on the record from the entire staff at Furniture Today. We wish you happy holidays. Happy, happy holidays. holidays! And we'll see you next year. Thanks for joining us. Mm -hmm.